Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. Today, I want to talk to you about how to spot if you're talking to OCD versus your child. And what I mean by that is a lot of times OCD will try to get you to do things or say things or respond to things in a certain way as a compulsion. So you're kind of metaphorically the sink and your child is trying to metaphorically wash. And we will talk about what that is, why that is, and what to do as a parent when you do spot it. But before I get started, I want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD offers affordable, effective, convenient therapy, and they're available in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. You can schedule your free 15-minute consultation to see if NoCD is the right fit for you and your child. Just go to treatmyocd.com. That is treatmyocd.com. The link is in the show notes. I also want to give you a little update about a couple things happening in my world, in our world so that you don't miss it. I do have my self-care for parents raising kids with anxiety or OCD free series coming out this week. (laughs) Woohoo! For those of you that haven't listened to me or followed me in a while or forever, I do this free series twice a year. And I have another series that I do twice a year as well. So I do four free series a year to help support you. And this is when I dive deep with you and everything is on demand, which means you don't have to participate live during the week. It's actually like a two week process when the series is open. You can watch these videos. They come out, we email them to you. You can watch them on your own time. And then I do a pop-up temporary Facebook group for the series where I go in and I go in more depth than I teach on those videos. And this free series is all about how you need, and I'm good. And I never use the, that kind of language because I don't like to tell anyone what they need or should do. But in this case, I think I can use this word. You need to take care of yourself. Taking care of yourself is really important. It's not a fluffy bonus thing to do. It's something that actually will make or break your child's long-term success. And I know that sounds pretty radical and extreme. And you might think, why should I be focusing on my mental health or my self-care when I really need to focus on how to build my child's skills. And I do help with that in general, in all the resources, online classes I have, my membership community, but without learning how to take care of yourself. And I don't mean that in a cheesy way. I don't mean that in like getting massages and having chocolate. I'm talking about mind shift changes, mindset changes, looking at how you perceive things how you communicate things to your child, your support group, where you get your information, all of that. So when I say self-care, I really mean something different than most people think. So I hope that you'll join me. You can either passively participate by just watching the emails when you sign up, or you can you know, carve out some time and actively participate and really jump into it and dive deep. Parents that do that I've seen have emailed me every time I do this series, which is twice a year. So, and I've been doing it for a few years now. I always get emails from parents afterwards, months afterwards saying, wow, like that free series really made a difference in how our house is run, how my child is doing. 
everything. And so I hope you'll join me. You can sign up for free at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. I will leave a link in the show notes, but check that out at atparentingsurvivalseries.com. That is starting. Let me look on my calendar. It is starting. It's starting this Thursday is the first video, but you can catch up and listen to it throughout the series. And so, cause I don't like the stress of feeling like, oh no, I'm going to miss it. So the series starts on the 25th of August, 2022, and it ends on September 4th, that Sunday. So join us anytime if you're listening to this during that period of time. And then if you're not, don't worry, I do them twice a year. So you'll catch it again sometime. All right, let's dive into this topic because I am excited to talk about this today because I have a long list of things I want to share with you. And I feel like you're going to walk away from this episode with some ahas because OCD hides in plain sight. And more often than not, we are talking to OCD when we think we're talking to our kids. And it's really, really important that we know this because with OCD, and I'll just briefly dive into this, OCD is having an intrusive thought, feeling, image get stuck in your head and the need to do or avoid something to get that brief relief. And the more you do or the more you avoid, the bigger your OCD grows. And so part of that loop is parental involvement because OCD, as I always say, is a family affair and it is more of a family affair the younger your child is. The older they get and the longer they've had OCD, they learn how to mask it. They learn how to do their own compulsions without, you know, people recognizing it. And that actually gets a lot trickier. And so when you have pretty overt, obvious OCD, it's actually easier to help your kids pull out those weeds. It's harder when it goes undercover. So if you don't know what to look for though, it could be hiding in plain sight and it can be really overt, but you're missing it. And we don't want that because what happens is your child has an intrusive thought or feeling. And I'm going to give you an example. Um, I feel like I'm going to spit fire information at you today. So bear with me because I feel like I have a lot to share on this. So if your child has an intrusive thought, and I'm just going to come up with one that is common. And let me just preface this with OCD comes in many different flavors and themes. It's whack-a-mole. It changes themes and flavors all the time. But the way that you treat OCD is the same. And so it can be helpful to know the themes or the kind of the major ways that the subtypes of ways that OCD pops up because you can spot these questions easier. So I always advocate that parents understand like the common OCD themes that pop up, but you don't want to get tunnel vision and get stuck on thinking now I have to address those in all different sorts of ways. That's that's the the con side of the pro and con of understanding OCD themes is that the framework is always the same. And the same with what I'm going to go over today the framework is the same. Your child is having an intrusive thought. And let's say the intrusive thought is, I'm a bad person. And they have moral OCD themes, which is I'm a bad person, or I might do bad things, or I've done bad things, or what if I do bad things? That's moral OCD. And we're not going to dive into these different themes. I'm just giving you broad strokes. This is a little bit more of an advanced episode in that I'm assuming that you understand OCD, and I'm assuming that you understand some themes. And if you don't, that's okay. You can always go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com, go all the way to the bottom, go to the search button, and you can type in how to know when it's OCD or OCD themes or anything I'm talking about today. 
and you'll find an episode where I have given you some more basic information. But this episode is not meant to diagnose OCD. It's not meant for you to take what I'm talking about and say, oh my gosh, my child asks those questions or they do those things. So they must have OCD. That's not the purpose of this episode. This is not diagnostic. I mean, all my episodes are educational only, but especially for those that are listening and haven't dived into my resources and don't have an OCD therapist, if you hear what I'm saying and your child isn't diagnosed with OCD and you don't even know if they have OCD, maybe you're listening to me because your child has anxiety and you're like, oh my gosh, my child does that. My child does that. That all that means is that maybe you should get an assessment, you know, get an assessment by an OCD therapist. Go to iocdf.com slash find-help or go to nocd at treatmyocd.com and get an assessment. It can never hurt to get an assessment, but don't use this as diagnostic criteria because that's not what this episode is. I had in mind primarily people who already are dealing with kids who have OCD and just to like fine tune your skills on how to know when you're not talking to your child, when you are actually providing some sort of compulsive behavior. But I know there's going to be people who listen to this who are new in the game and are going to, you know, get freaked out because they're going to hear things that sound OCD-ish. And I don't want A plus B equaling C without having that professional assessment. Okay, get off my soapbox on that one. So back to my example. You have an intrusive thought that says, oh my gosh, I'm a bad person. So maybe the child has a thought that says, I think a year ago, I talked bad about my friend. Or other people were talking bad about my friend and I didn't stick up for her. I think I'm a really bad person. I was gossiping. And then the compulsion, this is the part that involves you. Because people say, well, what do they do with that? They're just having an intrusive thought, an upsetting thought. But the compulsion is then to confess that to you. And so then they might say something like, mom, a year ago, they were talking bad about my friend and I didn't stick up for her. And I feel like a really bad person. And then you, being the good parent that you are, intuitively say, because OCD is counterintuitive. So you intuitively say, oh, honey, that was a year ago. And you're not responsible for what other people say. You were just standing there and other people were gossiping. That's not your fault. Or if they were gossiping, you might say, honey, that was a year ago. You know, you've grown and matured. And it's really great that you recognize that you don't want to do that anymore. Whatever answer you give, even if you say, well, don't do that anymore. That's not good to gossip. It doesn't matter your response. You provide reassurance in whatever way, whether it's even punitive or judgmental or critical or positive and reframing, you have completed that loop by processing that with the child. And then they feel that relief. Either I got that punitive response that I deserve, or my mom said it was okay. Most of us fall more into the it's okay category, depending on what our kids tell us. And then the compulsion is complete. Now, that doesn't mean... (laughs) That any child who comes up to you, that your child who comes up to you who doesn't have OCD and says, mom, I think I you know, was rude to my friend yesterday, has OCD. And that's why I'm saying this is a little bit more of an advanced conversation because you have to understand moral OCD to spot these things. Okay. And if you're not sure, I have a whole episode on moral OCD. Just go to my website at atparentingsurvival.com. Go to the search button, type in moral OCD, and you'll see some things pop up. So I'm going to go through a list because I think that that's the best way to really cover a lot of different things and different topics. And I'm going to just talk about, I brainstormed before I, you know, hit play on this, all the many different ways that OCD can involve you. And this is by no means comprehensive. It can never be fully comprehensive or exhaustive because OCD is just creative. And so 
It can come up with a million different things, but these are common ones that I saw in my practice over and over and over again. And so I thought these would be good ones to cover. So I broke it down into two different topics. I want to talk about questions that your child will ask you that is actually OCD in disguise. And then I want to talk about comments, things that they might just say to you that are, they're not trying to elicit any response from you, which is maybe even more frustrating because you, you know, you won't have as much control over how to handle that loop. And we'll talk about what to do in those situations. Okay. So let's dive into this. And they're all going to be a little bit tangential because some don't relate to others. So the first one that I wrote is they're not satisfied with what you're saying. So a lot of times, and again, this is with kids. We already know they have OCD. We, we already know they're struggling. They're asking you things, but they're not satisfied with what you're saying. So there's no satiation. There's no epiphany or reduction in anxiety or stress. And I'll give you, I want to give you concrete examples for all of these. And they're, they might be very different than what you're dealing with at home, but let me think of an example. And so let's say your child is worried they're going to throw up. They have a metaphobia, the fear of throw up, which can be kind of anxiety or OCD. And a lot, most of the time it kind of moves into the OCD category pretty fast because they start to develop compulsions around it. And so your child says, mom, do I look sick? No, honey, you don't look sick. Well, can you take my temperature? Okay. I took your temperature. You're fine. Regular temperature. Do I look green? No, you don't look green. Mom, what's going to happen if I throw up? Am I going to throw up today? No, honey, you're fine. So there's, there's no, there's no satisfying the worry versus I'll give you an example of maybe just talking to anxiety and not OCD. So I was dropping my daughter off today and actually it's a little bit of OCD, (laughs) but you know, she's always a mystery. She has band practice after school today, and she does have an OCD theme that says, I'm worried about change, but it's interesting because I can problem solve with her. So this is probably a bad example, but she's like, I'm nervous about going to band practice. What's the worst thing that will happen? What what does your O cloud say is the worst thing that will happen at band practice? Well, it's change and I don't like change. So I kind of go into a long conversation with her about like how You don't want to like align with your anxiety and OCD and just have this like blanket statement that you don't like change and not make O'Cloud work for his money because he's getting away with not having to even fill in the gaps. He just says, oh, it's a change. Woo, scary. And I said, you're going to be struggling every day because every day there's change. Like change is the only constant in life. I actually just did a whole YouTube video on that based on her struggles. Um, So you can check that out. If you haven't checked out my YouTube videos, you can go to YouTube and just type in Natasha Daniels. I make videos directly for kids and teens and young adults. And so you can check that one out on my channel. And so I said, well, what's the worst thing that will happen if you go to van? And then she came up with a lot of anxiety responses. She said, you know, I'm worried, like, what if I'm not good? What if we're practicing and I'm bad? Um, and that was her main one, actually. I, because I have social anxiety, always look at it from a social anxiety lens. So I already jumped in and was like, are you going to know anybody there? Or who do you know that plays, you know, in band? And like, cause you have to know like what baggage you're bringing to your child's struggles and what presumptions you have, because a lot of times they are clouded by our own struggles, completely guilty as charged. And so once I figured out her core fear, I was able to say, well, does it matter? Like, and then my son was in there too. And I said, can you tell her what you guys did in band practice? And he's like, oh yeah, it doesn't matter if you're good or not. We just played and And, you know, it's not really organized. Like you're just playing with a whole bunch of other people. And then she felt better. 
she felt better because it was anxiety and we problem solved with her and then she was done. So she has emetophobia too. And if her question was, mom, do you think I'm going to throw up? We might've gotten into a loop that she wouldn't be able to get out of because it was OCD. And I know it gets really confusing when it's like, when to talk to anxiety and when not talk to talk to OCD. And there is no perfect division and thing I can tell you that makes it completely clear. But I do have a podcast episode on what is the difference between anxiety and OCD. And that might be a good one to listen to because knowing who you're talking to in that moment is hard sometimes and, and you might mess it up and that's okay. So the first one is really not satisfied with what you're saying. And so you, you'll find that you're getting frustrated because you're already explaining this. Maybe your child touches something and they say, mom, is I touched a Clorox wipe. Is that poisonous? And you're like, no, honey, like that's like a, a cleaner. People use that all the time. But mom, I touched my lip afterwards. Is that okay? Yeah, I just said it's fine. Like people use that all the time. It can't be toxic. But mom, like what if I touched my lip and then I ate an apple? I think I ate food afterwards. Is that going to poison me? So now you're starting to get frustrated because <laughs> you're like, okay, how many times do I have to tell you? No, it's fine. That is what I'm talking about. Okay. The next one I have is you need to say it in many different ways. And so it's a little bit different than what I'm just talking about because they might want you to say things in a, in a particular way. And so like you might say, they might say, good night, mom, I love you. And you might say, love you too. And they'll say, no, mom, can you say, I love you too? And so they're correcting the way that you say things. They want you to repeat yourself and they want to clarify that again. My son has a lot of these that were very subtle and I've only started to notice recently. I will be talking to my daughter and he may not get it or fully understand it. And I just thought it was him. And lately he's been able to vocalize a little bit more. And I realized this is a just right OCD thing. I'll be talking to her. Actually, this just happened this morning. (laughs) Welcome to my world. We were in the drop-off lane of the school and there's a dumpster there and it was like painted red, but it was fading. And my daughter said to me, mom, that kind of looks like plastic. I want to go and squish it because the red and the fading part, it kind of made the dumpster that was steel or whatever dumpsters were made out of. It made it look plastic. I kind of saw where she was going with that, but not a hundred percent. I said, yeah, I guess I can kind of see that. And my son was like, wait, it's plastic. How, what do you mean by that? You want to touch it? What do you mean by that? And he's a very smart guy, you know? And so she's like, it looks like plastic. So what do you mean? Like the corners look like plastic or like what part looks like plastic? Like the whole thing looks like plastic. And what happens is we wind up getting really annoyed at him and we both say, stop, we weren't even talking to you. <laughs> like, let it go. But what I've noticed is that that happens a lot. And I have had conversations with him and he'll say, mom, I just feel like I have to know. I have to fully understand it. And he's got OCD around reading where he has to read and reread and read and reread until he feels like he fully, fully got it. And so it goes together. So OCD can be very, very sneaky. The next one is, well, you know, I actually kind of gave you, I gave you a really good example that covers a lot of these because I wrote, needs to say it in many different ways, wants you to respond in a particular way and keeps giving you further info to see if your answer will change. And so my Clorox example kind of covered a couple of those. So you need to say it in many different ways. You're not satisfied with what you're saying. And they keep giving you further information to see if it will change. But that doesn't have to be with just that example. I mean, really, it could be anything. You could say, your child could say, you know, I'm trying to think of an example. Am I sick? 
And then your child might say, you know, but I think I ate something weird last night. Do you think I'm okay? Like giving you more information. Are they worried they're a bad person and they feel like you don't fully understand? Maybe going back to the gossiping example, maybe your child gives you more information, but mom, like I agreed with them or mom, I think I nodded. So giving you more information to try to change your stance to see if it will stay firm or is this, is this expired or this, is this meat cooked? Yeah, it's cooked. I already cooked it, but there's a little pink in it. Well, you know, steak has a little pink in it, but mom, this looks like it's like bleeding. Do you think that's okay? Yeah, it's fine. I just told you, but you left it out on the counter for a little while. Is that safe to eat? So giving you more and more information. So a lot of those can actually overlap. The next one is ask the same questions or themes of questions daily. So when you're starting to see questions popping up in the same way, you know, they're, they're asking me a lot of questions about if they're a bad person, or they're asking me a lot of questions about their health, or they're asking me a lot of questions about their food, or they're asking me a lot of questions about the toilet. So looking for patterns and repetitive themes can be very helpful as well. Ask you permission for simple things is my next one. So this one gets missed until until you get annoyed. A lot of these are like you miss them until it's happening a lot. And most of the parents that I've worked with when they were dealing with a lot of these things would say, this has been going on actually for like a year, you know, and I didn't realize this was OCD. And I am so guilty of this as well, especially with my son, him fully needing to understand something. I thought that was a personality quirk. And now I'm really seeing how that's aligned with his reading struggle, the reading struggle. I did not, I thought he had a focusing issue until we really sat down and flushed it out. And it was like, no, he feels like he might've missed a word or he didn't fully understand a word. And he's gifted. He's like off the charts in all, like in ELA and in math. And so he said he just had to keep reading and rereading. So a lot of these get missed with even someone like me who, who does this for a living. So don't feel bad if you're missing some of these because like join the club. (laughs) It's sneaky and it's subtle until it's not subtle until you're like, oh, it's like, you know, that drip and it's just dripping nonstop. And then all of a sudden you're like, I can't stand that drip anymore. It was like such a quiet little noise, but you're like, if that faucet doesn't get fixed, I'm going to, you know, pull my hair out. (laughs) And it's because it's that slow and steady, like torture that you're experiencing. So asking for simple, for permission for simple things might be something like, Mom, can I take a shower? Well, okay, of course you can. Like, you know, you're 12. Since when are you asking for permission? Can I eat this cookie? Can I have this bag of chips? Questions that they don't normally require permission for. So not things that you want your kids to ask permission for, and now they're finally doing it, but things that don't require permission. I'm going to go sit over here, or can I take this towel over here? So just like permission type of things, it's going to look different in each person's house, but that can be something. And I'm not going to dive into like what themes these are or what to do about it. I will like in general talk about what to do about these things because I, I hate giving you information and then not giving you some solutions, but I'm not going to dive into the themes because they will be different depending on your child. Okay. The next one I have is ask you if things are safe. This can be anxiety or this can be OCD. With OCD, they're not satisfied with the answers. Anxiety over time will be satisfied. OCD will be satisfied when you complete the loop, but then it will come right back. So it's like, you're like, we just had this conversation or we had this conversation yesterday and the day before where anxiety tends to like problem solve 
And it might come up with like a different issue related to that, but it's working through it. So they are different. So ask if things are safe can include food. Is this expired? When did you buy this? Does this smell weird? Does this look weird? It could be things like that. It could be about touching things. Mom, you know, I touched this plant outside and then I touched my lips. Is that plant poisonous? I touched a Clorox wipe. I use that one because that one's a really common one. Mom, I was making eggs and I cracked an egg. You know, I think I got some egg yolk on my hand and I washed my hands, but then I touched my backpack. Do you think I'm going to get sick? So touching things and things being contaminated, asking if you touch things. Did, you know, did you touch my backpack and then, you know, make my lunch? Because maybe my backpack is contaminated. Not that they're going to necessarily be that forthcoming and say that, but they might ask you things like, did you wash your hands or did you touch this? Or did my brother touch this? Did they touch, you know, the remote? And so when you're getting a question that you're like, why would that matter? That's a red flag if your child has OCD. If you're kind of like, I don't understand why that would matter. That's a red flag. None of these are direct correlations because, you know, I don't know your kids. And just a simple question doesn't necessarily mean it's OCD. But I'm trying to give you like the gist of what to look for. So when you're getting questions like that, did he sit here or did she sit here or did you touch this cup? Those things are red flags for me. And the other ones can be scenarios, things that are safe or not safe. And these can fall in the anxiety category, but a lot of times they can fall in the OCD category. And so it might be like, I'm trying to think of an example just off the cuff, like if so-and-so was sick and then they touched my backpack and then, you know, I had lunch with them. Am I going to get sick? And it's hard to give examples because some of them scenario-wise can be anxiety, which you can talk through, you know, like can a bad guy break through my bedroom window or something like that. But it can also be scenarios like, am I a bad person if, you know, I do blah, 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 or this happened yesterday And does that make me a bad person? Or like with my kids, they have my son, again, with the moral OCD. And I feel like my daughter has this as well. She'll worry about being spoiled, you know, and because we're traveling a lot. And so then they they fear like that they're being spoiled and they they both have some moral OCD themes. And and so they'll have a lot of questions about, well, actually, I'll get to the comment section of how my son deals with this in a minute. But It's a subtle compulsion. I'll talk about that in a minute. I'll save that one for a little bit down my list. So my last one on questions is these are questions that can seem um, philosophical and these can get missed. They can seem like they're identity questions, exploration questions, and they can be. So how do you differentiate? And it's tricky. So I'm just going to give you some possible ways to explore this and try to be able to see. And I'm going to use some examples. So existential OCD can vary. The themes around existential OCD are kind of like, what's the meaning of life? What's purpose? Who are we? Sometimes I see a lot of depersonalization or derealization around that. I do have a whole podcast episode on that. If you're interested in that topic, Um, I actually have YouTube videos for kids who struggle with this too. Like, you know, am I real? Are you real? You know, am I a robot? Am I in a dream? Is this even happening? Those kind of things. And that can be really subtle how it comes about. And so my daughter struggles with that, my youngest. (laughs) I feel like I'm like the ABCs of like OCD. Like my kids all, like they, between us all, we all touch on different themes. I feel like I have everybody covered because 
I can give an example for almost anything, (laughs) which is sad, but helpful in my teachings. So we would go for a walk after, you know, in the evening. This was a couple of years ago. We are not doing that right now. It's actually very hot. But my daughter would get upset and she would say something like, I don't like to stare at the moon. And I was just having like this philosophical conversation to, with her. And I, and I was like, why? What's, what's scary about looking at the moon? And she said, well, it makes me feel so small. And I thought we were having a philosophical conversation. And she would talk about, I don't like the sky. And so anyway, long story short, I started to realize, you know, because she didn't want to look at the sky, you know, she didn't want to, she wanted to avoid the moon, that she was having some existential OCD themes where she felt like she was insignificant and small and what's the purpose. And the difference is, and you can have this difference in the same child, is when I processed and explored that with her, when it was OCD talking her anxiety and stress continued to go up and she was kind of on a loop, you know, like, oh, it just makes me feel sick that we're so small. And she was starting to get more and more stressed about it. And so it was clear to me that that was, she was having some OCD struggles with that. There are other times when I bring it up and we're having a philosophical conversation. And when you're talking to your child and it's philosophical and not existential OCD, there's no angst or stress behind it. Just like just having a conversation, like, I wonder where we're from or what life is about or what's our purpose. And interestingly, I can talk to my daughter about that. We can have deep philosophical, spiritual conversations about the purpose of life, the purpose of death, especially, you know, with her dad dying suddenly. We've had a lot of deep conversations about the purpose of life, why we're here, you know, and why we leave, all that kind of stuff. And that does not cause her stress. Because you can have both. You can have a child who has existential OCD, but who's also a deep thinker. So when I notice that we're having a conversation and I'm talking to OCD, it's a different vibe when I'm talking to her. It's a very anxious conversation, a very avoidant conversation. And so it's hard to tell the difference sometimes. A lot of times if I'm bringing up the topic, it's not OCD. Because when you're talking to OCD, it's your child's initiating the conversation more often than not when I'm giving you these type of examples. And so, except for the comments, which I'll go over in a minute. So that one's tricky. I'm having a hard time kind of nailing it down for you because it is so ambiguous. And a lot of it's just this gut feeling, but it is good for you to know that there is something called existential OCD. The other thing that she used to do when she was a little bit younger is she had some like derealization and she, you know, her OCD would give her intrusive thoughts that I was a, a robot or I wasn't her real mom. And this happened, especially at bedtime. And I'd be tucking her in and she would say, mom, what's your favorite color? And I just thought she's just randomly asking me a question. So that goes back to my list of them. They're asking you questions that are kind of bizarre, right? Or that seem out of context. And so I was like, I don't know. My favorite color is like, actually like hot pink. <laughs> you know? and, and she said, what's your favorite food? And I was like, why are you asking me these questions? And then she kind of joked and said, I just want to make sure it's the real you. And I realized she was testing me. That was a compulsion. She was making sure she was getting that reassurance that I was her real mom. Now, that it's not like she's psychotic and she doesn't know who her real mom is. With OCD, kids rationally know their belief, but they can't help but entertain the uncertainty of the irrational belief. And so even though I know my hands are clean because I just washed them, OCD is making me doubt it and saying, but are they? Why don't you just wash them again just in case? 
or she's like, I know this is my mom. Like, obviously it's my mom. But OCD's like, are you sure though? Why don't you just ask her these questions just in case? So that got missed for a little while until she kind of laughed and said, just making sure you're my real mom. And I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> how could I have missed that? Because I knew she had some derealization, but I didn't realize that I was involved in those compulsions. So be aware of those kind of things. The next one, and this is um, the next two I'm going to talk about are a little dicey in that you have to kind of know how to gauge this. And that's why it's really good to have an OCD therapist who's well-trained and well-versed in OCD. So not just your general therapist, but one that's really, really well-trained in OCD because the next two are, are tricky. Sexual identity. So there's something called sexual orientation OCD, which again, we name these things, but it's just a subtype. You know, it's just another flavor of the same old foundational OCD, intrusive thought or feeling, the need to do something or avoid something to get brief relief. And so, you know, unfortunately, OCD will attack the identity and say, you're not who you think you are. And this can come in many different ways. Some kids think they're racist, but they're not racist. Those kids tend to have more moral OCD type of issues. And some kids think that they, their sexual orientation is different than what they know it to be. That's different than gender dysmorphia or truly processing your identity of who you are. And that's why it's tricky because you don't want to mislabel something as OCD when it's it's actually not a genuine concern for who they are. And they want to process that and they, they're wanting to explore different sexual orientations or maybe they already know. And you are like, oh, they have OCD because they think they're something that I know they're not. So be careful with that. But there is sexual orientation OCD. We don't talk a lot about that in pediatric OCD, but it's important and we should talk more about it where they might think that I am something I'm not. And so they might say, mom, how do I know I am not gay? Or how do I know I'm not trans? Or how do I know that I'm not straight? I actually have seen it the other way. I have seen kids that are gay or bisexual or trans worry that they're heterosexual. (laughs) So it's not a one arrow direction. It is just basically, I know who I am. And now OCD is making me doubt who I am. And that can really be in any capacity, whether it's sexual orientation or whether it's their belief system. You know, I'm aligned with this belief system. And now I feel like, what if I'm this belief and plug and play? That could be anything. And so when they're asking you, how do I know if I am blah, 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 it's just having that extra ear for OCD. So that's something to be aware of because I think we don't talk enough about that. And the last one, which is also really important to get professionally assessed. Both of these that I'm talking about, I feel like are really important because you want them to be dealt with in the right way is harm OCD themes. And so sometimes kids will have intrusive thoughts that they're suicidal, but they don't want to be suicidal and they are not suicidal. They don't have suicidal ideation. They fear suicidal ideation. Um, Sometimes it's homicidal ideation, but I see more suicidal ideation or fear of harming someone as a theme. And this pops up in your dialogue with them where they might say, how do I know if I'm suicidal? Or how do I know if I'm depressed? Or what are the signs of depression? Or what do I know if I, you know, how would I know if I need help? Those are scary questions to hear. And a lot of times then you have to have a really good ear for it. And you want a qualified professional to assess this for sure. If your kids are saying these type of things, but with the kids that I've worked with that had harm OCD themes and would say these things to their parents, like, do I look depressed or how do I know I'm depressed or what are the signs of depression or how do I know if I want to kill myself? They are so fearful 
of these thoughts. They are they are not aligned with their thoughts. It's incongruent with their mental status and who they are. And they're terrified that they might do something that they don't want to do. So they might be avoiding the knives in the kitchen, or they might be holding their hands under their lap when you're driving so they don't accidentally open the door and try to fling themselves out. They might stay away from the curb because they're afraid they might fling their body into the traffic. And there's no impulse to do those things. There's no desire. The fear is, what if I can't control myself? Which is OCD, right? It's like this fear that something's going to happen that we can't control or we can't be certain of. So be careful with the questions that you're getting because, you know, if you have a child who's asking a lot of those questions and you take them to a general practitioner, a general therapist who's not specialized in OCD, that could be a long road in the very, very opposite direction that they need to go because you don't want a child who's actually having harm OCD thoughts be treated as if they're suicidal. And a child with OCD can have suicidal thoughts that are not harm OCD. And that's another ironic struggle is you don't want to overlabel that and then not get them the help they need. But the the real identifier for me that I've seen in my practice is the child is completely incongruent. Their beliefs are incongruent with, with any suicidal ideation. Like they are just so upset by the, the fact that their brain would even consider that or think about that versus kids that are depressed and suicidal. Even some of the time feel like, oh, I was having a really bad night and I was just really upset. And today I feel better and I feel bad that I had those thoughts. That's different than it's always incongruent. You know, it's never aligned with what they're thinking. Okay, so let's move on. I have a couple of them to end this episode that are more comments that you might notice. So they're not asking you to participate necessarily, but something you're noticing. So one is they tell you the same thing frequently. And this can be different for each kid, depending on what's going on. My son, and I've mentioned this recently before, because I'm starting to notice this a lot. He will thank me for things profusely. And even when it doesn't even relate to him and it, it always sounds the exact same. And so look for patterns in your child's mannerisms and behavior. You don't want to like, you don't obsess about this where you're not enjoying your kid because you're constantly like analyzing what they say. Just have an ear out for some of these things. Notice these patterns. And so people say, mom, thank you so much for making us this dinner. I really appreciate it. Even dinners that he's not even eating. Mom, thank you so much for taking us here. It's really fun. And I I notice a lot of time, I'm starting to notice a pattern. I've missed a lot of this. If I am annoyed with one of them, which happens a lot, (laughs) especially when we travel and stuff. If I'm annoyed with one of them, or I actually outright just redirected or snapped at somebody and it wasn't him, he will come in within like a minute or two and he'll say, mom, thank you so much for taking here. I'm having a really great time. And what I'm noticing is that he has intrusive thoughts about being a bad person and especially about being entitled or spoiled. And so that's his compulsive behavior. And he also apologizes a lot. He says, I'm sorry, a lot. And we've joked, and now I say to him, sorry, not accepted. And he knows I'm talking to his OCD. But I'm starting to notice that even his praises, which I've liked, because I'm like, he's such a polite kid. It feels good. I'm taking them somewhere, and I'm really angry at one of my kids. And then he comes in and says, Mom, thank you so much for taking us here. And I really appreciate that. But just because it makes me feel good doesn't mean it's a good thing. And so we'll talk about how to handle these in a second. I just want to get through this list. The next one is that they maybe they make similar bizarre statements. 
So if your child is having to say something, sometimes OCD will make them have to say a phrase or an expression that doesn't maybe fit the context or it seems kind of bizarre. You want to look into that. I've had kids who've had to say things like just kidding after they say something or they have an intrusive thought in their head and they have to say that. And so sometimes kids are having an intrusive thought in their head and then the compulsion is to actually say something out loud. So sometimes you'll see kids whispering what they're going to say under their breath. They'll repeat it twice or they'll repeat their words twice. Now, there, there is a disorder that I think is related to ASD where kids uh, will repeat under their breath. And that is different. So I'm not talking about kids who have ASD, but sometimes kids will have to repeat their words or their sentences twice because they didn't say it just right. And so looking for those kind of things is a, an important thing to look for. The other one, which gets missed almost always, is a lot of the kids who have moral OCD, so they fear being a bad person. And one of the main things that I see a lot with kids with moral OCD is the fear of lying, which kind of goes under, to me, it goes under the moral OCD category theme. And so they're worried that they might be a liar. And so they have a hard time making decisions. So if your child's having a really hard time making decisions and they have OCD, you might want to explore if that's a component. Um, some kids with anxiety have a hard time making decisions because this is a really good decision and then this one's good too and I don't want to miss out. And so they, they just have a hard time making decisions. But OCD can can also cause that because what if I'm lying? You said, honey, do you want pizza or do you want spaghetti? And I said pizza. But then what if I'm lying and I actually want spaghetti? Then I'm a liar. And I'm a liar. I'm a bad person. And so now I feel worried. And so they soften it with answers that include maybe, or I think, or I guess. And so you have to have a really good ear for this. And once you're listening for it and it is happening, you'll hear it all the time. Because I've done this with kids that I've worked with in my practice where I caught it. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, everything they say ends with, I guess, or maybe. And then I can't unhear it. I hear it everywhere. And so you just have to tune in a little bit. So if your child has more OCD themes or you're like, oh my gosh, my child does say that all the time. How was your day? It was good, I guess. Do you want ice cream or should we go out for pie? I think maybe pie, I guess. <laughs> you know, it's like, did you take the towels upstairs? Yeah, I took them upstairs, maybe. Or I think, you know, so it's like it's very, very unnoticeable. So pay attention to that. So what do we do with all that? Those were just like some pretty big highlights of things that I see that are very common. There are a million other ways that your child can hook you in that I didn't cover, but you get the gist for sure. So when they're involving you, the first thing in all of these, and it's the first thing in everything, is helping your kids see that it's OCD. There's no point in pulling back your accommodations or changing your behavior or responding in a different way without first pausing and educating your child on why that's OCD. And you have to do that in a very skillful way. Because if you're like, you know, I listen to a podcast and, you know, when you say maybe that's OCD. So from now on, when you say maybe, I'm going to say, repeat that sentence without maybe, you know, or when you say, you know, did I do this wrong? I'm going to say, maybe you did, maybe you didn't. And your child's just like, what is going on here? <laughs> That's not fair. And I think a lot of times we're just overzealous. We get some information. We know our child doesn't want to talk about it or they're not willing to work on it. And so we just move forward without the education piece. Or maybe even they are willing or able, but we just feel like we know 
our part to play. And so we want to just jump in and stop doing the things that are maybe growing the OCD, which is great and helpful, but it's not your journey, right? And I say that all the time. Whether you want to grab the steering wheel and try to, you know, ride that car for them, it's not going to work out because you're not meant to drive the car. Their foot is on the gas for the brake, their hands are in the steering wheel, and you're just in the passenger seat guiding them. You're a coach, you're a cheerleader, you're a teacher, you're a parent. That's your job. And even if you try to, to steer, it's, the car will crash because you can't drive from the other side. Not well at all, right? You can't get over there. So education is always the first step. And you might have to do this in a series of conversations over a period of time. But you want to say what OCD is. And you can use my videos as an example. That's why I have a YouTube channel. Podcast is here to support you. And my YouTube channel is there to support your kids. And you know, educating them is really important. And so what is OCD, how it shows up, that it's an intrusive thought or feeling, and you have to do something or avoid something to get that brief relief. We want them to understand the loop. And then when they understand the loop, we want them to understand why breaking the loop is so important. Even though short-term, it doesn't feel good to not get that response. Long-term, it's going to be better. I am actually done with my uh, kid and teen OCD course, which I'm really excited about. So I'm just, you know, putting it together. All the videos are done, but it is going to come out at the end of September. And I am hoping that it's going to fill the gap in this area because I, up until now, I really don't have my courses on my online school, which is atparentingsurvivalschool.com are for you. They're how you can help your kid crush OCD, how you can help your kid crush anxiety, how My social anxiety class is actually directly for kids with social anxiety or teens or parents. And my difficult behavior class and my sleep class have videos for you and for your kids. But the one thing that I don't have that really I should have is a class directly for kids and teens with OCD. Teach them directly. And so I wasn't going to do that just because after my husband died, I was like done. I was like, I'm just going to continue to support the work I've already created. And that's plenty. And then like the last six months, you know, the fog lifted and I was like, I feel inspired to create a class for kids and teens directly. I just pretended that someone was like in my office and what I would do with them in therapy and made it a course. And so I am excited because I think that that will actually help. If you want to get on the wait list for that, you can, because I will be emailing the wait list with a discount for like the first 48 hours that I open that class. And so I'll leave a link below in the show notes, but it's at atparentingsurvivalseries.com, which is to sign up for my series. But if you do slash waitlist dash OCD, so atparentingsurvivalseries.com slash waitlist dash OCD, so waitlist OCD, you can get on my waitlist and that way you will get notified before this course even comes out and you'll get the discount. But I am excited about it. So that is one way to help your kids understand because if they don't understand OCD, They're not going to understand you pulling back your accommodations. So once they understand OCD, and then you say, you know, I notice, this is what I do with my son. You know, I notice that you've been apologizing a lot lately. And his OCD is called Squishy. And I teach kids in this course how to personify and name OCD and why that can be helpful, although they don't have to. And the cool thing about the course, not to keep going on about it, but I interviewed a whole bunch of kids and teens with OCD, and they weave in their own advice throughout the course, which I think is even more powerful to hear other kids 
talking about their struggles with OCD and talking about what they do that helps that's clinically sound. And so I think that that's going to be pretty powerful too. I'm actually going to make my kids watch the course. I think they'll be happy to do it, but because you never can get enough information for your kids and my kids too. Sometimes I'm surprised that they don't know something. I'm like, how could you not know that as my kid? And they don't. I remember I was talking to my daughter about exposures. No, we were talking about ERP and she's like, what's ERP? I'm like, how can you be my kid? (laughs) But, you know, I think I just don't ever go around saying, let's do ERP. I mean, I normally say let's do exposures. And so she didn't know what that meant. And I had to explain it to her. So never assume your, your kids know fully what's going on. But once they understand what is OCD and once they understand how them asking a question is growing their OCD, then you come up with a plan together in a perfect world. If your child's not willing or able to work with you on that, then you you come up with your plan of what you're going to do because you control your behavior. You don't control theirs. So you can control how you respond. And so with my son, I'll just use a concrete example. He was saying, sorry, a lot. And then he said, yeah, squishy because I feel really bad. I feel like a bad person. And I said, you know, the more I say it's okay every time you say you're sorry, the more squishy's going to grow. And so even though he understands this, or I feel like he understands it, I'm explaining it again to make sure that he 100% understands. With my kids, I try to not fill in you know, the gaps for them. I want them to come up with their own thing. So a lot of times I'll say, so how do you think I should respond to that from now on? If we know that that's squishy, when you say you're sorry, how should I respond? And I do that on purpose because I want, if they give me direction, So if your child says, mom, you should respond this way, and it's a clinically sound way, they're more likely to go along with it. They may not in the moment. They might get frustrated and say, forget it. I want you to say this. And that happens a lot. But there's more power when they come up with it themselves. And so my son said, don't accept my apology. And so I said, okay, this, how about this? When you say, I'm sorry, I'm going to say, sorry, not accept it. And you'll know that I'm talking to Squishy and not you. And he said, that's fine. And so now when he ever says, I'm sorry, oh, I'm sorry, I always say, sorry, not accepted. And he laughs because it's kind of funny because I say it in an obnoxious way, like sarcastically, and he has a good sense of humor and he laughs. Um, He never gets mad. That's not to say that every kid isn't going to get mad because they will. I mean, it's just not one of his main themes. So he's able to kind of laugh at it. Now, when he says things like, mom, thank you so much for blah, 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 blah. We haven't addressed that yet. That's kind of It's been going on forever, but I feel like it's revving up. And so I'm going to have a conversation with him. And I'm going to say, I notice that Squishy says, you know, thank you a lot. And I appreciate it, but not if I'm talking to OCD. And so from now on, when you say that, one, how about you try not to do that? Like, let's talk about a different way that you can show your gratitude. And let's make it different each time so that it's not a pattern or a compulsion. And it's okay if you don't ever say thank you, because I know that you appreciate what I'm doing. and because you know, OCD is getting in the middle of it. How about you just don't say thank you to me for right now? And that, that could be a plan. So the goal is to come up with a plan together so that your child feels good about it. And even if they are angry in the moment, long-term, you're really helping your kid. And so we don't want to gauge our success as a parent raising a child with OCD on whether our child is happy with our response or not, because your child will never get better if your gauge is how happy your child is with your interactions. Because if you're doing the right thing, and this is going to sound a little horrible, but if you're doing the right thing, your child's going to get upset sometimes because the OCD is not getting fed. And just like an itch that wants to be scratched, OCD is going to have, like, it's going to flare up and get angry and have a tantrum. 
before it diminishes because it's going to kick its heels and say, you need to answer me or you need to respond in this way. And so there's a lot of pain in order to get that gain. And that's okay. You know, that's part of the process. We have to go through the hard parts and in order to come out the other side. And if that's hard to stomach as a parent, which it is for a lot of us, then you have to do your own work on what, you know, what triggers it brings up and what stories you're telling yourself when your child is mad at you for doing something that's going to be clinically sound and therapeutic long-term. You know, what is it about needing your child's immediate approval or satisfaction that has to do with your own struggles or issues of needing acceptance or belonging or what, what it means to be a good parent or what your own childhood brought to your parenting. And I have episodes on that to help you explore it. Uh, you can go to my website and type in childhood or parenting for, for your own struggles, because I feel like parenting kids with anxiety and OCD inevitably brings up and highlights our own struggles, our own strengths, our own issues, our own fears, our own traumas. You know, it's just one big, big ball of a mess. And we have to untangle that, you know, in order to be a really effective parent, we have to do our own work, which actually is a twofer because when you do that, you're improving, you're growing, you're becoming an amazing person as well as your child. And I think that's, that's very cool. So that's why I do my self-care series, my free self-care series, because I feel like they are so interwoven and interconnected. People don't realize how interconnected your story, your struggles, your perceptions, your mindset, and your support have on your kids. And this is a perfect example. If you can't handle the stress that's going to come with your child saying, mom, am I going to throw up? And you know, as long as you just say to your child, honey, you're not going to throw up, everything will be fine. And instead you say, and this is what I say to my daughter, you may or may not throw up, which you know is somewhat aggravating their stress in that moment, but helping them long-term, that might be hard to stomach. But if I have a good mindset, my perceptions are solid, I've worked through my own struggles, maybe my own childhood, I have a good support network, and I'm recharged, then I can stand firm and say, you know, you may or may not. And either way, I know that you can handle it. And that's a gift to your kid. But you can't do that if you are coming from a place of emptiness or, you know, your tank is not full or your mindset around doing that needs a little tweaking and it's different for each person, but join me for that free series that's starting this week. Again, it's atparentingsurvivalseries.com and I use that website for my waitlist too. So it's a little confusing, but you can get on my waitlist at atparentingsurvivalseries.com slash waitlist dash OCD as well. And I hope to see you in the series. We do that pop-up Facebook group and, you know, I make it really fun because just like with our kids, like if we're going to be tackling a really hard subject, we want to make it fun. So I give out like Amazon gift cards and we do raffles every time I do a Facebook live and I get to know people in there and people support each other. And it's actually, I love my free series because it's a fun time where I always meet new parents and parents get to know me. And then I open up the doors to the AT parenting community at the end. And so people can continue with me or they can just get all that wealth of information through the free series itself. So I hope that helps you. If you are enjoying the podcast, I feel like this podcast episode gave you a lot of information. If you're finding that helpful, don't forget to hit a star on iTunes or Google Play or Stitcher, wherever you consume your podcasts. And if you have a few extra moments and can leave a review, I greatly appreciate that. And to show my appreciation, I always like to end 
reading one if I have a new one. So I do want to say thank you to Nikosaurus80, who wrote great information for parents. This is my go-to podcast for everything parenting. I'm a parent and a therapist and love being able to recommend this to families I see. I see for easy to access and reliable information to help them through the ups and downs of raising kids. Thank you. I love that. And I love that you're a therapist and you're able to use this as a parent and therapist and that you recommend it to other parents as well. So thank you. I appreciate that. And thank you for taking the time to write a review. If you write a review, maybe I'll be reading yours next time. And don't forget to find the sparkle in everything you do. And I'll be talking to you again next Tuesday. Take care. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.